You can remain standing. I'm going to read for us from God's word. But before I do, two things of personal privilege. One is that I really enjoy wearing this robe. You know, it's really, really nice. Uh, it's kind of flowy, you know, uh, and uh, keeps me comfortable, which is really, really great. There aren't a lot of opportunities for me to wear this robe, though Stephen Crawford and I were talking and might have to change everything about RUF and just start showing up on campus in a robe and just see what happens. Just walk around with a graven face, not talk to anybody, just be praying, see what happens on campus. So thank you for the opportunity for me to be in a robe. It's an honor. Second thing of personal privilege is that Mary Cannon and I have had a tough road uh, attempting to get pregnant and we are pregnant. So we are very, very grateful for that. We wanted to share that with you. That's public news. Love the applause. That's great. And so let's turn to God's word. This is from Mark chapter two, verses 13 through 17. It's in your bulletins. Jesus went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to Jesus and Jesus was teaching them. And as Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax booth. And Jesus said to Levi, follow me. And Levi rose and followed Jesus. And as Jesus reclined at table in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed Jesus. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. You may be seated. Let me pray. God, thank you for your kindness to give us these words. Uh, out of your heart, uh, you decided by your spirit to communicate these things to us, to have them recorded for us to be able to read them and access them and know who you are. And so God, I pray, as Alan said, that we would know that you are here among us, that you have called us to worship you, that you want followers, that you made us to be dependent upon you, to find, to live and move and have our being in you. And so God, I pray, no matter how we've came this morning uh, with our family situations or in school or how we're feeling emotionally or what's going on in our lives, I pray for everybody here that you would give us the ability to be present, to hear your word, and that you would communicate to us through your word in such a way that we would be changed, that you would lead us in repentance and newness of life as we seek to follow you more faithfully. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are picking up in the middle of the second chapter of the Gospel of Mark, one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark Luke, and John. And Mark is the shortest gospel. It's also the fastest moving gospel. There's a word called immediately in English that happens over and over and over. I think personally that the gospel of Mark would make for the best movie of all the four gospels because there's so much action. There's so many things that happen. And if you haven't read up until this point in the middle of chapter two, which I would guess you haven't, at least not recently, what has happened is that Jesus has been revealed as the son of God that he has this authority, that he is God himself. And the way that he's been using that authority is to heal people, is to cast out demons, 
It's to proclaim the good news of the gospel to say that repent for the time is at hand. The kingdom of God has come. And many, many people are coming to Jesus who are in all different kinds of situations. And many people are bringing other people to Jesus who they know are in all kinds of different physical, emotional, spiritual situations. And Jesus is changing people's lives because of his power and because of his love and because of his holiness and because of who he is, because he is the son of God. And now, after the first part of chapter two, what happened is that the four men brought the paralyzed man. If you remember this story, maybe kids, you've heard about this, where the friends bring their friend who's on the mat who cannot walk and they open up the roof because there's no way to get to Jesus because he's so popular, there's so many people around him. They open up the roof and they lower down the paralyzed man on a mat and Jesus heals the man of his physical sickness and he forgives the man of all of his sins. And people are amazed. It says they're astonished. They cannot believe the things that have been happening because to their words, we have never seen anything like this this. You know that when you're reading the Bible, that when you come to meet Jesus in the pages of scripture, that the response is, I have never seen anything like this. We have never seen anything like this. That's one of the cries of the church, right? That we got into the world. We've never seen, come and see this man who told me everything that I've ever done. We've never seen a man like this. Your wife is not like this. Your husband is not like this. Your father's not like this. Your mother's not like this. Your professors aren't like this. Your employers aren't like this. I'm not like this. You're not like this. We have never seen a man like Jesus. And we just talked about that from the New City Catechism, right? Fully man and fully God. There has never been a person who is fully God. We've never seen anything like this. And so when we see him, we see God. And so our three points this morning to work us through this on the theme of holiness that I see in this passage, I want us to work with these three things, two things and a question. Number one, what is the Jesus kind of holiness? Number two, what is the religious kind of holiness? And then number three, how can we be like Jesus? So number one, what is the Jesus kind of holiness? Number two, what is the religious kind of holiness or the Pharisees kind of holiness? And then number three, how can we be like Jesus? All right. So we've never seen a man like this because holiness is who God is. It belongs to God. It is something that is totally and complete. Jesus is whole. Everything about him is beautiful. It is pure. It is perfect. And what we see about his version of holiness is that he spills over with it. He spills over with it. There's a verse in chapter one, verse 15, where it says the time is at hand or the time is fulfilled. And what that word in Greek means is literally the image of a cup being so filled up that it is spilling over. A cup of coffee that you just keep filling and filling like a, like a, like a thing that you might see on the internet, like a funny little image, right? The cup of coffee just filled, keeps filling over and over, is spilling and going into everything around us. That's what the word fulfilled is, what Jesus says. He's spilling over. All of who he is is spilling over into the world. He's coming close to people. He's having a party in this passage. And the very significance of why Jesus is even here on earth is because God so loved the world that he sent his son, right? Not that it'd be condemned, that we'd be saved through him. 
to spill over, to enter into the crevices and the cracks of a broken and fallen world and to heal us and to make us new and to make us holy, spilling over into our lives. And in this passage, he is spilling over into the lives of a tax collector, his friends and other sinners. J.C. Ryle, he said this, it's in your bulletin in the front. This is a great quote. He said, he knew what we were before conversion, wicked, guilty, and defiled, yet he loved us. He knew what we would be after conversion, weak, erring, and frail, and yet he loves us. So when there are verses in the Bible that says that God came in the world not to condemn the world, not to judge the world, but to save it, what that means is that God actually came into the world in the flesh in Jesus and went over to actual broken people, sinful people's houses and had dinner with them. That's in part what it means. And that's what's going on in this passage is Jesus is actually going over to the house of Levi. He was a tax collector. And a tax collector was someone modern day you can think of like a parking attendant, okay? So imagine the University of Alabama's campus, okay? I want you to think about it. If you've been there a lot, you can do that easier. If you haven't, just know that there are a lot of parking issues, okay? <laughs> so there's a lot of campus, very few parking spots, lots of cars. It's growing more and more. And so there are obviously laws. You can park in certain spots if you have access. You can't park in other spots if you don't have access. And the people who enforce these laws are the parking attendants. Think about the modern day tax collector, okay? So imagine the parking attendant is a University of Alabama student and they're just trying to make their way through school. They're not really passionate about being a parking attendant. It's just a way to make some money. It's a way to do something and it's a job that they can have, okay? So what they do all day is they drive around in these little carts and they go and they put tickets on people's windshields, including mine three days ago. Because certain people like me park in spots that I don't have access to, right? And so then what happens is when you get one of those tickets is that, you know, you complain about it, right? You're like, this is ridiculous. This is so frustrating. Darn it, you know, I wanted to beat the system. Why do they have this rule? They should be better with parking. The thing that is so easy to do in those situations is just to go off on the parking attendant, right? But the parking attendant works for a system so much bigger than itself. I would guess the parking attendant doesn't really care all that much about the system. It's just a job to them. And tax collectors back in the day were Jewish people in the midst of a Roman empire and they worked for the Roman government collecting the taxes of their own people so that they could bring those taxes back to the Roman empire. They were seen as sellouts. They were seen as one of their own. How are you taking from me? Why are you doing this? They were not treated with respect. They were socially outcast. And Jesus has the audacity to go over to the house of a parking attendant. Honestly, that sounds like a pretty lame party, right? Like when you look at this passage and you see tax collectors and sinners, you might like in your imagination be like, oh, that sounds like a fun party, right? No, no, it was probably pretty lame, to be honest, <laughs> right? These were the most socially outcast people in society. These were people that people had written off. These were people who were just trying to make ends meet. It wasn't necessarily the most popular, the most fun. The whole point of what I'm trying to say is that Jesus was going to people, especially to people who were on the margins of society, including those that people did not love and did not like. Holiness was spilling over. My seminary professor said this. He said, 
Holy is inadequately defined as set apart. More importantly, something is holy when it has been brought near to God, both in a locative sense as well as in a giving over to God. God is simple, whole, and without parts, the source of all beauty and perfection. So what if holiness, according to Jesus, is less about separation and is more about proximity? What if holiness is less about casting yourself off in this way and more about drawing near to people in the midst of the world? Why in the world, right, does, do we have these stories? Why do we have these gospels where Jesus goes to such and such a town, such and such a person's house, such a church, goes to this light, goes to that thing? Why does he go to specific places with specific people who are all different? Because holiness spills over and draws you proximate. It draws you near to other people people. Now, if you're a doctor, you know that when you enter into a surgery, one of the first things that you do is you put on your scrubs and you clean up and you wash, right? And this is kind of a really good image for for Jesus. Jesus, who is perfectly pure morally, who is without sin, he enters into these situations and yet he remains clean. And that's the same things that happen with surgeons if you're a doctor, right? You remain clean. You remain separate from the disease as you enter into it and you seek to heal it. And that's what is going on with the Son of God is that when he enters into this party, the people cannot imagine that he is still morally clean. They cannot imagine that he is still someone who is perfect and is God. But Jesus' holiness spills over in the midst of Levi's house. I think this is really interesting. If you look at the passage with me for a second, people are grumbling, these Pharisees, and they're grumbling that Jesus is out to dinner with this person at their house. And then Jesus says to them in verse 17, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's, that's the NIV. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is what Sinclair Ferguson said. Listen to this. He was rebuking the Pharisees' misdirected zeal. They were concerned for the glory of God and for moral purity, which was commendable, but God's concern for his glory and for purity among men had led him down through history to visit his sin-diseased people to heal them. If the Pharisees were really anxious to see men and women become holy, then their separation to God should have led them to a loving commitment to the people to show them God's way. Jesus was exposing their false holiness. If their so-called holiness expressed itself only in criticism of sinners and not in caring for them, it was not the kind which God wanted, nor the type that Jesus exhibited. Okay, they had a misdirected zeal. They thought they were going for the glory of God in these particular ways, and they were missing it. They were missing it. They thought that they were serving God and yet they were missing it right in front because Jesus is basically saying, look, if you were really concerned about holiness, it would lead you near to these people. It would lead you closer to these people to invite them in. But did you know that the Pharisees actually added to the Bible in such a way where some of their laws were you could not have dinner except at a Pharisee's house? So that adds a little color, right? They actually believe that They weren't allowed, the true people of God, these Pharisees, they had to only have dinner at the homes of the Pharisees and Jesus is messing with that. This is what a commentator says. He says, holiness in the New Testament is a matter of Jesus going right into the middle of the mess and the suffering of human nature. 
For Jesus, being holy is being absolutely involved, not being absolutely separated. I'm gonna read that again. For Jesus, being holy is being absolutely involved, not being absolutely separated. The commentator goes on to say, the Christian idea of holiness is to do with going where it's most difficult. In the name of Jesus, who went where it was most difficult. He wants us to be holy like that. This is why RUF exists. I get to lead RUF here at the University of Alabama. There are 33,000 undergraduate students. And the temptation is very always easy to stay with the people who want to come to RUF, right? To stay with the kind of people who identify as Christians, to stay with the kind of people who identify with what RUF is doing on campus. And I know that the temptation is equally, if not even greater, when you're a church. Because I know that you guys have a lot going on in your lives, because I know that there's a lot going on in the world, because it's very, very challenging for us to live with a full and complete heart for all different kinds of people, because at our core, it's very challenging for us to believe that we're loved by God, not by what we grew up in, not by what we did, but just because of who God is and what he's done, right? If we believe the gospel, if we believe that we are saved, not by what we do, but what by Jesus has done, it's gonna drive us towards mission. It's gonna drive us towards all kinds of people because we no longer look at the campus or we no longer look at Tuscaloosa as the people who are in and the people who are out, but as what could be, what God may be doing, of what might become in people's lives. How within your families, how within your work, how within your school, how within your lives can you spill over towards the brokenness around you and maybe even come in contact more with the brokenness inside you as you do that. That's what Jesus is inviting to. It's a kind of holy that draws near to us, that enlarges our soul and that drives us near the world. But there's another kind of holiness and this is our second point. And that's in this passage as well. It's the religious kind of holy. So I've said this a little bit, but the Pharisees were this sect of Jewish people at the time. They're a minority sect of Jewish people at the time. They were a continuation of the Hasidim, which means faithful in the Psalms. And so their whole life to find, to go after God's glory was all about devotion to the law. Devotion to the law. They believed that the law could be adapted to most every situation. Famously, they had 613 commandments. They would add to the laws so that they would be extra careful of not breaking them. And they were known as being separate. As I said before, one law that they had is that they could not buy food from or eat in homes of those who were not Pharisees. And they thought that they were pursuing God's glory. So let's give them the benefit of the doubt, right? What were the benefits of this kind of lifestyle? Well, one, obviously, is that rules do away with the mess of life, right? Rules do away with the mess of life. A lot of us have rules or make rules or keep rules because life can sometimes be very messy and it can be very, very hard for us to accept certain things that are going on. So we seek for control. And what we do is the problem is always out there. The problem is never in here. And so the spirit of the Pharisee today lives inside of all of us, myself, just as much as y'all. It's the spirit, right, that I've talked about of the ins and the outs. It's the spirit that we can see right now in modern day cancel culture, both on the extreme left and on the extreme right. No forgiveness, no redemption, 
and just canceling people, cutting people off, taking them away because people aren't worth actually being redeemed. People in this society are either right or they're wrong. And so our society, if you're older, this might be shocking for you to imagine and to think about this way, but think about this. Our society today is probably more, it's probably more moral and more legalistic than the one you grew up in. And I know that might sound crazy because you might look around and think, well, everyone's just following their heart. How could that possibly be? Uh, I had a friend who's my boss in RUF. He used to live in the Bay Area and he moved to Nashville. And he said there were far more legalism that he experienced in the Bay Area than in Nashville. Why? Because the spirit of our age right now is getting more and more into the legal, defining more and more laws, trying to be on the right side and cutting everything off. My friend Richie Sessions said this. He said, neither the far left or the far right have a redemptive arc. They're super ready to cancel people based on performance. No one is more legalistic than an ultra-progressive woke person, and no one is more legalistic than an ultra-conservative traditional person. You can insert any issue. It's all about being on the right side. It leads to lots of talk and lots of pride. You see, the Pharisees had canceled a lot of people. The spirit of the Pharisee, it did away with the idea of love. It did away with the way of the other and seeing them in this sort of way. They were seeking after God's glory, but not in the way that Jesus was. And you and I do that as well. They had shrunk the world. They had tried to keep their people and they had forgotten about the world outside them. This is what a commentator says. He says, the holy person doesn't shrink your world. They enlarge your world. They make you feel more yourself. They open you up. They affirm you. They're not in competition. They're not saying, I've got something you haven't. They are showing us something that is wonderful simply to have in this world. The holy person opens us up and draws us in. He goes on, he says, it's not about my being made to feel inadequate or looked down on. On the contrary, somehow I feel a little bit more myself, not in any way that suggests I don't need change to repent and believe, but simply through recognizing God's activity in the world. Okay, I don't know if you heard the phrase holier than thou, right? But the whole idea of that holiness and the way that Jesus talks about it is it actually enlarges our life. It makes us feel more and more a part of what he is doing. God loves sinners. God has made us his sons and daughters, we who do not deserve to be. And he's doing that to people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. I don't know if you watch the show Ted Lasso, but if you know me a little bit, you obviously know that I love that show. It's a great show. It's a show about this American football coach who goes over to coach soccer, which he knows nothing about in England. And uh, what happens is that he's this magnanimous personality that allows all these people around him to be uh, more and more of who they are because he cares about people and sees people as people. It's kind of like that in a much bigger way with Jesus. If you look at the passage, all of these kind of people are being drawn towards him and suddenly they feel like they're a part of what is going on because holiness spills over and it comes near to us. And it brings us to our last question. So how can we be holy like Jesus? So how do we be the kind of holy that is like Jesus? Well, it's pretty simple. We gotta look to Jesus. I don't want this to be lost. There's a beautiful simplicity in this passage. Look with me at it. This is in verse 14. And as he walked along, 
Jesus saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And what did Jesus say? He said, follow me. Follow me. Every single person who is a disciple of Jesus, Jesus has said to us, follow me. Every single day and morning of our lives, we need to hear Jesus saying to us, follow me. You see, we're not left to ourselves. We don't have to run to any sort of community here on earth. We are a part of the community and the family of God. We are loved for, we are cared for, we are being led. And we get to follow, right? So it's, it's really beautifully simple. Holiness like Jesus never starts with you doing something. It starts with you seeing someone. Holiness like Jesus never starts with you doing something. It starts with you seeing someone. It starts with you seeing Jesus and following him. It's as simple as going over, right? Jesus comes over to his house. It's very, very, as Alan talked about, in the mundane of life, whether brushing your teeth or showering or eating or with your kids or with your mom and dad or at school, how do I seek to follow Jesus? That's the question of every disciple. And the good news is that Jesus loves having followers. It's kind of his idea, right? Like Reformed theology, which is beautiful, an expression of looking at the, uh, the, the, the Christianity alone through scripture alone as the authority. If you look at scripture and you look through it, what do you realize? It's that the only way that we can possibly follow Jesus is because it's his idea. It's because he sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts to regenerate us, to make us alive, to justify us, to call us. He predestined us, right? That's what makes us followers. It's not because we really wanted it. It's not because we really held on to it. It's not because we're somehow worthy of it. It's in spite of all of those things. And so you can rest secure and knowing that your salvation as secure as the one you're following. And a lot of the times, our salvation doesn't feel very secure because we're not following Jesus, if we're honest, right? We're chasing after some other teacher. We're chasing after some other person, some other ideal, some other measure. But there isn't a single leader or teacher or discipler who will die for you who is as holy and is as loving towards you as Jesus. So look to Jesus, follow him. The question of the disciple is, what is it that Jesus wants for me in this moment? What is it, God, that you want for me today? Do you have that kind of relationship with Jesus where you're following him, where he's leading you? And yes, it's happening through the scriptures. It's happening in community. It's happening at church. You have that kind of access as a child of God. The last thing that it leads us to as we follow Jesus is that Jesus says, okay, now turn around and love these people around you. Love these people around you. Or as you follow him and he takes you in places, he's gonna take you to some places and some people where you're gonna feel really awkward. And he says, love them. Now notice, Jesus' command, as Stephen prayed earlier, is not to love those who love you or love your people or love Christians. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. Your neighbor may believe in Jesus, your neighbor may not. So as we follow Jesus, we follow his way, we follow the commands that he's given us to love our neighbor as ourself. So what is that gonna look like to our literal neighbors, through our work, through our majors in college, through our desires, through our families, through all of these kinds of things? I want your life to swell with the possibilities and to get together in different ways throughout the weeks to inspire and encourage one another as you follow Jesus. I'll close with the story. So 
I think this story is, is true and you may have heard it before, but it's a story of a man who's a Christian. He goes on this conference to Hawaii. And when he's in Hawaii, the first night there, he's all the way from the Eastern time zone. And so there's a massive time change, really, really long flight and he can't fall asleep. So he wakes up at three o'clock after trying to go to sleep. He's restless and he's hungry. So he sets out on the streets of Honolulu like any of us would do. And he finds a 24 hour greasy late night breakfast establishment called Waffle House. And as he's at Waffle House drinking coffee and eating a donut, eight loud prostitutes come barging in and they sit at the counter with him, smoking and complaining about the various things that are going on in their life and in their business. He overhears one of the women say something about her birthday, which all the other women then proceed to make fun of her. And so the women leave. And so this man, this pastor, he goes to the owner and he says, do these women come in here very often? And the owner says, yes, they actually come in every night at the same time. And he said, okay, well, who was the one who was sitting right here? The one who said it was her birthday. And he said, that's Agnes. Why do you ask? And he said, well, she said it's her birthday. And I was just kind of thinking maybe tomorrow night we could have a surprise birthday party for her. So the next night he orchestrates this party all of these friends of hers are there at the party. There's this grand buildup. There's the cake. And she walks in and she just starts weeping. Overcome with the reality that someone had thought about her enough to actually want to celebrate for her. And as she asks these questions of who are you? Who is this man? He prays for her salvation. And then at that moment, the owner of the Waffle House has this amazing quote. He says, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And the man says this. He says, in one of those moments when the right words just came, he answered him quietly. I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. The man thought for a moment and in a mocking way, he said, no, you don't. I've never been to a church like that. There's no church like that. If there was, I would go. My friends, the kingdom of heaven throws a party for us when we return home. Whether you're a tax collector, a sinner, a prostitute, or a Pharisee. And if you know that you need healing, you get to receive something that you can never receive in yourself. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would remind us that you are a physician, the great physician. You told us that. You came for the sick, not for those uh, who think that they're well. You came for sinners, not for those who think that they're righteous. And God, I pray um, that as we see you communing and being with people like ourselves, no matter how much we might want to distance ourselves, remind us of our own sinful condition and the party you've thrown over us and the access we have because of what you've done. Remind us that through this table. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.